You are listening to Conversations with Chris Marshall, where I sit down and talk to top real estate investors and professionals who work with investors to find out how to become a top investor. If you are interested in becoming a top real estate investor, then be sure to subscribe to the show and to tune in to new episodes so we can level up and start or scale to success in real estate investing. Welcome to another episode of the Top Investor Podcast. And uh, today we have guest Edwin Epperson on the show. And we dive into setting yourself up for success in this coming economic storm that we're looking at, you know, with interest rates on the rise, with uh, the potential for a flood of properties to hit the market with banks, you know, taking them back from owners, all sorts of stuff. We dive into it and we talk about how to position yourself to take advantage of whatever might come up next. So definitely going to want to stick around and listen to this episode. With this out of the way, let's get on with the episode. All right. Welcome, welcome, Edwin. It's great to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Chris, for having me on. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to get into this episode and, and kind of talk about uh, what we're going to talk about today, which is recession. So recession as a real estate investor, recession in the country, recession in Florida. We're both located here in Florida, so we got a little bit better uh, views and mindset on that. So with that, what is your kind of views on this whole recession thing? If, you, if you've been in the, the news and the, the markets the last multiple months, people have been talking about recession for the last what year to six months, kind of going back and, and a lot of debate on whether or not we are or aren't in a recession. What is your view? My view is that everything is hindsight is 2020, right? So somebody could say a really broad statement, say, oh, yeah, I predicted that, you know, like years ago. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm not in the business of prediction. Uh, I look at what where we're at now and where we have been in the past couple of months or years even. And then I try to make adjustments based on that. Um, for your listeners and for new real estate investors, as they are getting into the business, I know that we have had this conversation multiple times in the previous podcast, um, the previous training sessions, and I'm going to continue to harp on it again. You do not make your money when you, when you sell the property. That's when you realize your profits, you mm -hmm. make your money when you buy the property. And as you see the market shifting, which everybody has seen the market shifting. I mean, the writing is all over the wall. You can't ignore it. Uh, please don't be the type of investor where you stick your head in the sand. It's like, okay, this is just going to pass over like a storm. And then I'm going to pull my head out in a couple of weeks or months and everything will be back to normal. It's not. It's not getting back to normal. And uh, the normal that we know has probably forever changed or for a very, very long time it has changed. And so we as investors need to adjust. Now, a lot of people are going to start running around like little chicken littles. I mean, you've already seen them, especially anybody that's peddling gold. You're going to mm. see tons of ads now how the economies of the world are collapsing. You need to invest in gold, gold, gold. And yeah. uh, uh, what what else is that? Uh, the, Robert uh, Kiyosaki's coming out. Yeah, Robert Kiyosaki. <laughs> what's his name that's always peddling gold coins? I can't remember his name, yeah. but yeah. So you're going to start seeing a lot more of that, right? Yeah. And if you're if all you do is listen to the news, um, you know, the world is coming to an end. Uh, I even read something today how there's evidently there's a society uh, that keeps track of the doomsday clock and they mm -hmm. have they have 
pushed us to like eight minutes or eight seconds before doomsday. Uh, it's just ridiculous. So there's always going to be these type of people that are uh, creating an emotional response out of investors. Yeah. And as, as sophisticated investors, we need to keep our heads on and always remember this. There is always opportunity. No matter what the economy is doing, no matter where how bad or bleak things are, there is always opportunity. Opportunity Absolutely. to set yourself up for success, opportunity to set your generational wealth, your generational um, success, uh, opportunity to grow a business uh, out of need and out of, out of distress. So there's always an opportunity. And if we read the news and if we look at what's happening in the real estate market through that lens, then you're going to see opportunities that other people just miss out on because you simply have that awareness. So I, I would start off today's conversation with that, with your listeners, with the people that are invested in the program and they're looking at uh, using RE to to grow a business, grow investments, is mm -hmm. that keep your eyes open for opportunities. Now, the big the then the follow on question is, well, where are those opportunities? What are those opportunities? And yeah. so, as a private lender, this is where I'm looking at a really shifting way. Uh, in the past couple of years, we've all seen housing prices do this, so everybody gets caught up in, man, I'm I'm going to start. I'm going to start expanding my my um, capabilities and and trying to go after those bigger price points. And this is the reason why people look at profit. They look at the dollar. If I spend six months on this project, I'll make a hundred thousand. If I spend six months on that project, I'll only make twenty five thousand. Well, I don't make a hundred thousand. The problem is that that hundred thousand dollar profit is typically tied to an asset that is valued higher than the median income, a median yeah. household. And so what you have is you have a lot of investors that are going after those higher profits, uh, but as a percentage wise, they're no, they're actually possibly more on the dangerous side than going after the $25,000 profit and, and the buyers for those 700, 800 million dollar properties are starting to come down. Like they're not as prevalent. That's always been a, a smaller, a segment of the population to sell to. Yeah. And now that the, everything is changing, that population, that segment of our population is starting to shrink drastically. Yes. So my advice to investors is focus on affordable housing. That's always been a need. It's always been a need. As a matter of fact, there are government programs that will help investors find qualified borrowers or buyers for their affordable homes. Even if they're not qualified with the traditional banks, there's tons. Like Jacksonville is famous for having a lot of great programs to help uh, low income earners or even families that have bad credit or there's something happened in their credit where they would not get a bank loan, but the wow. city will come alongside and provide down payment assistance and other things to help them get that property as long as the property that they're buying is in the affordable housing range. Now, if we talk 10 that's, years ago, the affordable- That's different for each state, right? The affordable housing level, like in Yes, Florida, absolutely. Like and that's definitely something, something where, where you will want to discuss, uh, find an expert in your state it could be a real estate agent. Uh, yeah. It could be somebody that works. And I would say even with within cities, you know, uh, let I'm just going to pull a, a city out of my mind here. Um, you know, a city in well, there's a little bitty town north on 75, right before the I-10 interchange. Hmm. It's not Gainesville. It's north of Gainesville. It's like. I don't know. I'm just going to make up a name. So Watercrest. So yeah. let's say Watercrest, Florida, the average home price is 
the median home price is, let's say, uh, 200,000. So affordable housing in that uh, area might only be 110 to 125,000. Whereas let's go down to Miami, where, you know, your median household uh, house price is close to 700,000. Well, your affordable housing might be closer to 300, 400,000. So wow. it's all going to be dependent upon your location of where you're investing. But I would say even with that, you want to be in an area to where anybody in the United States could come and that would be considered affordable. So what yeah. does that mean? And in, in what I've seen, Investors should be focused on properties that are ARV, not where you can buy it at, because obviously you're buying at a discount. You want to be able to add value. So your yeah. ARVs need be need to be between, I would say, 185000 all the way up to 275000 That's considered affordable pretty much anywhere in the state of Florida. If you're within that price range, you're going to be able to reach the largest demographic, as well as be in neighborhoods to where... Uh, people that would that would be able to buy, you know, families that would be able to buy yeah. affordable. They're not in an area to where they feel unsafe. So again, your goal is to reach the largest demographic uh, with with the most buying power. And that affordable price range, one eighty five to uh, two seventy five, two eighty five on the as your ARV that window is going to get you in front of the largest amount of buyers. Uh, as well as hopefully keep you in nicer neighborhoods, safer neighborhoods uh, for families. And that, sh that should be your target audience, as well as be able to, those homes within that price range will qualify by and large anywhere in the state of Florida for some type of government assistance. If the family that's looking to buy that home cannot come up with the, you know, the down payment or, or whatever that is. So mm -hmm. I would say for investors, and that's going to be a hard thing for investors that have been focused on the 400, 500, $600,000 or more. Like yeah. moving is for them, it might be, oh, I just don't want to mess with that. Well, the market's changed. And yeah. if you're set in investing in those higher price point, you're going to be sitting on that property for a lot longer than somebody that's invested in the affordable housing. So. Yeah. Going into all that affordable housing strategy stuff could be a whole episode on its own. That sounds awesome. So like the whole working with the banks as an investor, working with the banks to kind of help your mm -hmm. potential in buyer qualify this home as a, an affordable housing and therefore get the 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 loans or that city aid or anything like that. That's that's pretty cool. Definitely want to uh, touch on that um, either later on if we have time or another episode. Uh, but that's pretty cool. Moving back towards like the recession. So <laughs> states like distracted. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, states like Florida, you know, we're in a, a pretty good boom, even even still, um, you know, we have record numbers of people migrating to Florida. Same with Texas, Texas and Florida. I, I was hearing some stats like Texas and Florida, apparently their two economies alone are making up like a greatest majority of like the overall economy of the U.S. right now. So with with kind of that in mind, like how do you think like Florida is going to feel, say the rest of the, the the housing market collapses, you know, we hit the real recession like 2008. What do you think like Florida's housing market could look like in that sort of scenario with this other macro trend, you know, coming on of, of such great migration? We have such a strong economy still even moving into this recession. What are your thoughts kind of around that? Man, I tell you what, Chris, I, you bring up a great point. And, and there in 2008 and the fallout that happened from 2008 to about 2012, 
the entire mindset of Americans as a whole and even economists as they started to look at what was happening. Uh, it used to be where where the United States went, that's where the United States went. Like as a whole, mm-hmm. whatever happened across anywhere in the United States, like that's where the entire nation went. Yeah. From 2008 to 2012, there was this shift. An economist started to realize this is that we are no longer a a whole nation. We are macro or micro economies within macro economies within our regions within our states. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing right now is literally the the result of that mind shift that happened from 2008 to 2012 and and being florida uh texas there's a few central states yeah uh, in the united states that are just they're doing uh unbelievably well whereas other states like we we live in florida i have no idea what's happening in california or new york but i can tell you horror stories of Mm. of people that have moved from those states and it's it's unbelievable now also, there is, man, there's, when it comes to looking at, uh, you know, the economy, there's so many factors that play into what makes an economy robust, what makes economy uh, shrinking, what makes an economy like thirsty and dry. Politics play into that. Uh, you know, people don't want to talk about three major topics. You know, you don't talk about these three major topics around the dinner table. You don't talk about yeah. sex. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. Well, unfortunately, uh, politics does play a huge role. And what we're seeing right now is that certain policies and polit- or certain politic, uh, political leaders are attracting more people to their state than others. Now, you can argue one fact or another, but that it doesn't change the facts. The facts are that people are moving in yeah. large to Texas and Florida and a few other states. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean when the rest of the economy in the United States starts to really, uh, and I, I would say, man, again, I'm not in the business of prediction, but it would not surprise yeah. me if we go from a recession to a depression. Um, it would not surprise me at all. And that's something I don't think anybody's talking about as far as on the horizon, because quite frankly, we don't want to talk about it. Uh, we don't want to address this huge elephant in the room that is looming there uh, that says the recession is is simply a pathway to, to another depression. Um, I don't know. Again, I'm not a predictor. I would love yeah. for the fact that we don't go with that route, but every indicator is keying in that we are pointing harder and harder towards actually going into a depression. And I think all bets are off the table. If we go into a depression, um, I personally think that, and we were talking about this earlier, I think that crypto can play a huge role. I think that the shift from the U S dollar to a cryptocurrency is actually uh, it's being pushed on a world agenda state. It's being pushed from the world stage uh, with a specific agenda and there are a lot of players that in our government are saying oh no 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 we don't want that but in reality they they see it happening so yeah i think you're going to see in this coming year we're going to have regulation come out to regulate crypto and then there's going to be the integration of how does crypto get utilized in everyday life and once that happens then we're going to be moving from the the dollar and those who have only investments in dollars are going to be in a in a different position but that's that's a that's another topic for another day. Yeah, uh, the recession, uh, where we're going at as far as and maybe the timeline. I think that's that's a big question is on people's mind is well, how long do we have before we get to this like the recession? Yeah. Well, I think in a lot of states you're already seeing that they are already in a recession now. Whether people 
talk about it and admit it. And it's so weird, Chris. People yeah. will hear it, but until they hear an authoritative figure say, we are in this, then they don't believe it. And the, the U.S. economy as a whole, not only the dollar, but just our economy, is based on the faith of the American people that our government is managing things correctly. Yeah. The problem is that people look to your mainstream media and really the White House to let them know, okay, is the government really maintaining? Now, obviously, the government is not going to admit to the American people, we don't know what we're doing. We're completely flopping on this and cause <laughs> chaos, right? So there's this this weird dichotomy where we're in to where all the all the evidence points to we are in a recession and yet you're not hearing it talked about it might be you know whispered in the corner might have a little blurb on a, a you know two second little statement on a nightly news but other than that you don't really hear it so people actually don't believe we're in a recession so what is the timeline of when we are actually in a full-blown and everybody's admitting it and then of course everybody's going to run around like chickens with their heads cut off i don't know um, yeah, probably the time that the government and the media actually come out and say, we are in a recession. These are the, these are the measures we're going to have to take to get out of it. Um, and then it's, you know, all bets are off. It's, uh, it'll be up to the American people to react. And more importantly, how do we as real estate investors react to that scenario? Um, I think we had mentioned in previous podcasts, um, I think that the, uh, subject to strategy is going to be huge, oh, absolutely yeah. huge in the coming months and even years, because what we had over the past well, four years or so, we had interest rates at historic lows. I mean, absolutely historic lows. Banks by law cannot go in and just arbitrarily increase the interest rates. If you, if the bank made a fixed rate loan at 2.75% for 30 years, <clears throat> It's locked in 2.75% for 30 years. So what you have is the <laughs> potential of when we get into a, a full-blown recession. And, and again, this is going to be unique. Like Florida might not be in a position where, you know, this strategy is going to be really prevalent. But I'm telling you right now, it it is just is because humans are creatures of habit. And creatures of habit, humans love debt. And we love our knickknacks and our chewies and our you know, our doodads, as Robert Kiyosaki likes to say. And so somebody who has a incredible, they've got like a $400,000 property at 2.75% because they were just in that position and they they don't know how to manage their money. And so now they're in a position where they just have to get out of their property. Those are going to be the opportunities that are before us. I will also say uh, with the affordable housing, you're going to, I believe, with the influx of immigration across our country, and the need for affordable housing, I think that you're going to start seeing bank loan products for, I don't know, I don't know what the formal term is, but basically fractional, uh, um, so basically taking a property and getting a loan and the bank knows that you're leasing out by the room. Like it's, it's a mm. by the room rental. The banks right now, you can't get a loan for that. Like if you're going to go to a bank and try to qualify for a loan and you've got a four bedroom house and you're making, let's say $300 or $400 per room. And that rent is like at a, let's say a 1.85% on your DSCR, a bank still will not qualify. They will not give you a loan as long as there's not a long-term lease in place or even a short-term lease strategy, like a but these buy the room rentals, you won't get a bank loan for, to buy a property or refinance a property with that mm. strategy and use that income to qualify for it. I think in the future, 
where we're heading is that the government is going to start pushing banks and creating regulation of how do we underwrite a fractional uh, rental uh, property and and have a a loan product for that type of investment. So I think that is another thing. It, it's not available right now. You're not going to see that, but it is a strategy yeah. that's being used. Um, I would in- encourage any of your real estate investors, any of the people that are using Aerie, uh, be looking at projects uh, for your private lenders. Because right now you're not going to get a formal loan uh, for that, but your private lenders, meaning individuals that are they've got sitting on money and they're just looking for a way to put it to work. Look at putting some of these ideas in front of those investors as far as getting private capital and locking up because you can do that with private capital. There's nothing that says you can't do anything uh, with private capital. So um, that's another strategy I'd see that's probably going to be uh, front and center in the coming months, uh, maybe years uh, as this recession plays out in full. That's cool. Yeah. So um, now kind of going into like some of the strategies we talked about two so far, the sub two financing and this affordable housing Mm -hmm. uh, strategy could be really good. What are some other strategies? If we think back to like 2008, when everybody was losing their homes, homeowners became renters, renters became, you know, other renters, lower class renters, you know, what are these different strategies that we should be focused on? And then what are the strategies of like real estate investing that if we are going into a recession, we should just like stay away from, you know, like where, where's the good and where's the potential bad uh, for different like types of things that we're going to look for? Yeah, man, that's again, that's real. And it, it real, really boils down to where are you investing in the United States? And and so yeah. everything that I'm going to be saying is from the perspective of somebody who lends in Florida. I only yeah. invest in Florida. I'm not lending in other states. There's quite frankly too much business and there's just too many factors to try to expand into other states. Yeah. Um, some strategies that are going to be beneficial that investors should focus on. Um, I, Man, you know, there is, there's this big, what do you call it, uh, where people have a preconceived notion about a specific type of investment, and that's mobile homes. Mobile oh, homes, yeah. by and large, have just a preconceived notion like that is the slumlord. That's it's the, a slumlord. It's yeah. the bottom of the barrel. Like it's the people that that nobody society doesn't want. And like you just, you're always going to have headache and hassle. And I would say that uh, mobile home investing, because of this affordable housing push, like you might find areas that up to this point maybe not. And it might take a few more quarters or even years to get to this in in some other locations in Florida, but maybe today or in the previous couple of years, maybe these counties would not approve mobile home parks. Mm. And now they will start be uh, approving mobile home parks. And I think for investors, if you want to get invested in affordable, affordable housing uh, and affordable housing to where you can create a, an environment of safety. So the whole reason mobile home parks and mobile homes have this have this connotation this preconceived idea by many Americans is because the owners of those homes or mobile heart homes they simply see it as a cash cow. They don't care about pouring back into the community. They don't p- care about providing safe 
uh, clean living environments. Like it's sort of like, hey, if you can pay the rent, you can come here with your 15 broken down vehicles and park everywhere and deal drugs out of your home. And we don't care as long as you're paying rent. That's sort of been the mindset of a lot of your mobile home park owners um, in the past because it's simply been a cash cow. I think that if investors wanted to approach this from a, I want to, I want to not only make money, I want to not only build something to pass on to my children, but I also want to do something that's going to benefit, be of societal good in the community. And there is a demand for mobile home park that is affordable as well as it's safe. And yeah. I, I think that that's just going to be a big, that's going to be a strategy that uh, that you're going to start seeing a lot more capabilities of counties willing to approve mobile home uh, developments. Um, so we've got, uh, and that sort of ties into the affordable housing. I think the multifamily space, man, it's so overblown here in Florida. I just, I see so here in Tampa, I know you're in Gainesville, Chris. Here in Tampa, we probably have over in North Tampa. So we're not talking downtown Tampa. We're talking North Tampa. That's where I live, Northern Tampa. We still have probably between 3,000 and 4,000 new units being developed in the next six months. Wow. Downtown Tampa, there are these huge development projects. And we're talking 5,000, 8,000 new units being uh, developed. So- <laughs> I mean, just the whole apartment space is just, it's, it's crazy. And and with the new construction, uh, you know, I know that there's, you know, the past couple of years has been a big push for uh, people getting into the multifamily space and, and renovating multifamily and it's called repositioning, uh, repositioning a multifamily complex. And those are going to start to come by harder and harder and harder to come by. And so if that's where an investor's focus is, is to break into uh, the real estate space with multifamily, uh, meaning five units or more, man, that's going to be a really hard space to get into because pretty much everything is is new that's coming on the stage. And let's be honest, a renter, it, a renter is different than a homeowner. A homeowner buys a property, even it's especially if it's renovated, if it's got that nostalgia, if there's something about it that's historic, it's got some character to it. People like that. With the mm -hmm. rental property, nobody wants that. They, yeah. If they had the opportunity to rent your single family home or even, you know, whatever, uh, at, let's say, $2,000 a month, which is $2,400 a month is the going rent here in, in, in Tampa, North Tampa, for like a two-bedroom, three-bedroom, two-bath. That's wow. it. Like, that's expensive. So if they have an opportunity to rent that and it's, uh, it's okay. Or they can get a brand new apartment with the, the pool, all the amenities that come with it, they're going to go with that. Oh, and yeah. so it's, that's why I say like, if, if your goal is to rent, um, be in the affordable space and, and put some effort and time into your renovations, your profits may be lower, um, but your time on market is going to be a lot less and you're going to be able to exit. One other strategy I think is going to be uh, critical is we've, we've all been, we've all realized that this work from home, uh, this remote working opportunities, they're not going away. Uh, they, they're probably only going to grow. However, corporations are going to start moving towards uh, uh, moving employees for training events and, and stuff. So you're, 
your on-site employees are going to be mobile on-site employees. And so I think there is a push. I've, I've seen it several times here in Tampa where you start having investors who are advertising corporate housing. I think corporate housing could be a strategy. I'm not very familiar with it. I don't personally lend on corporate housing projects, so I, I couldn't tell you what to look for or even the strategy, how to market that. But I do believe that that is a strategy uh, if your target is the corporate sector, that is a strategy that you might very well want to start uh, in, in entertaining. Hey, let me cut in here real fast. I'm Chris, and I'm the host of the show you're listening to right now. But I'm also the founder of a platform called Ari. You know how we as real estate investors struggle with switching between multiple tools and software to manage our investments? Well, Ari is here to change that. It's a start-to-finish real estate investment platform that streamlines everything. From deal analysis to funding, we de-risk lending opportunities and help you build trust with lenders and partners using our Investor Confidence Score. And guess what? We've got a special lifetime deal for select investors, our foundation partnership offer. This gives you lifetime access to Ari's powerful tools and early access to updates. Level up your real estate investing game and check out Ari today at www.ari.io. That is www.areii.io. Trust me, you will not regret it. Interesting. What about like areas of investing that we're going into a recession, you should stay away from? Is there anything like that? Oh, man. Yeah. So. You, I, I, you know what I mean? You saw this. Yeah. You saw this in 2008, all the way through 2012, and you saw it in multiple states. So anytime there's a recession, and I've, I've generally stayed away from these. I never loan on these products with my personal capital and my investor's capital. Now I'll broker out loans from institutional because it's institutional money. Um, but condos, stay away from condos. Um I would say that if you're going to invest in in anything like a townhouse or a condo, that's one. So definitely stay away from high rise. Like take high rise condos. Like if you're going to invest in that, invest for it as a hey, this is where my family is going to go to vacation, and it's it's not a long term investment play, or it's definitely not a fix and flip play. Don't go there. So stay away from high rise condos. That's my personal uh, opinion. On your low rise, like one floor or two floor condos or townhouses, which there, there are a lot of those, definitely look into the HOA. Understand what, what regulations and limits the HOA has in place before you invest into a condo or a townhouse, you know, one or two floors, um, one or two stories. And, and all the, the, the units are connected. They're either in like quadplexes or triplexes, but it's, it's a townhouse or it's not a triplex or quadplex. Like what we may be thinking of. Yeah. It's, it's like an HOA type uh, community. Typically so, you're taking care of, if from my understanding is you're typically taking care of the inside and then yeah. you pay a service fee for them to manage yeah. the and exterior, I, I would just, the lawn. Man, yeah, I would stay away from that altogether, um, especially yeah. in a recession, because those communities, they're going to be focused on one thing, one th or the community owners, uh, which are the people that own the HOA, they're going to be focused on one thing, one thing only, profit uh, in this downtime. And so what what is the easiest thing to cull profit from? Uh, when you have an HOA, it is your maintenance fees. Mm -hmm. And so what they will do is they will indefinitely push out maintenance. Uh, and then 
just like any corporate structure, once that profit comes in, they don't want to release that profit. So yeah. in this recession, and they're like, well, we need to take extreme measures. So we need to, you know, we need to take money out of the, the road fund or the house, the roofing fund and those deferred maintenance issues. Now they could present opportunities in the long term, but a lot of these townhouse and condo associations, like the owners, the people that live in it, they have the ownership of the inside, but they have no control over the outside. And what you have is people that have invested into townhouses or condos. The inside looks really nice, but the outside looks horrible. And there's nothing they can do about it because the association yeah. controls the money. Um, so that's those are two type of asset classes I would definitely stay away from. I would encourage people to strongly look into investing in mobile homes and affordable housing where historically maybe like, ah, there's just not any profit there. There's too much of a hassle. I think the landscape is changing and the government is going to come yeah. in and as Ronald Reagan said, the uh, the worst things that you could hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, though, in the in the economy of real estate and when the government steps in for investors, it does present unique opportunities that if you have an open eye, you can jump on those. Awesome. Um, yeah. You know, I think this episode is, is going to be a bit shorter than our other ones. Um, I mostly just wanted to get some good foundation stuff around the and expectations around the recession yeah. what's coming around the corner things that people should do to prepare for uh with the potential recession coming up whether or not it's going to happen you know how could how should they prepare what should they be thinking about um any last like words of advice or opinions that like you might want to say hey if you know if we did have a recession you might also want to think about this yeah, I would definitely say uh, that you need to start uh, uh, focus, start now, if you have not already, start now uh, focusing on releasing some of that leverage that you have. So if you're mm -hmm. a highly leveraged investor, you've got a lot of credit cards to float the projects that you're doing, look at ways to get rid of that leverage. Uh, I would say one of the biggest and easiest ways to do that is to bring in equity partners. So if you find somebody that, you know, they've got money, but they don't want to be a lender because maybe, you know, earning six to 8% is not attractive to them. And they, they know the opportunities that we're in. You can offer them equity into your projects. Their capital infusion is not a debt to your real estate investor because they're not having to make monthly payments. That investor now gets a portion of either the realized profit or the cash flow. And that's a conversation you can have yeah. with them. You know, some investors, will, they don't care about the cash flow because they're high net worth. They've got plenty of money come in. They just want to find a way to write off depreciation, capture depreciation, write off, uh, you know, and, and gain that equity in the backside. So the different equity partners have different strategies and what they're looking for, but bringing on equity allows you to release some of your debt obligations, which in the future are going to be, it's going to be critical that investors have as little debt uh, leverage as possible and uh, because if we go into a full win, we go into a full recession, mm -hmm. it's going to affect a lot of people and people that could afford homes, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to pay. And so that's why, again, I say, you know, the affordable housing is going to be a, a tremendous spot to invest in. Yeah. Now, just, just kind of on that last note there, um, bringing in an equity partner. So over the episodes we've talked about, you know, if, if I'm brand new to real estate investing 
and I need a capital partner to come in to help me, you know, purchase this apartment complex, whatever, you know, maybe they're getting 50% of that deal for bringing in the capital. What if I own that property already? And it's, it's got some, some, it's heavy, uh, heavily leveraged, mm-hmm. you know, but I want to bring in someone to kind of relieve some of that pressure. What do you think, you know, sort of just like framing, it's obviously going to be a conversation between the owner and that equity partner of what they actually decide on. But in your viewpoint, like in that situation, what might be a fair, you know, starting range to kind of to expect for for real estate investors looking for that? Is that like a 25% equity thing? Or I would say never. So if you're the owner of the property and you're looking to bring on equity, you never throw out a percentage, like get it out of your capital investors mouth first. Like, what do you like as the real estate investor and Chris, you're my equity, you're my capital. Like Chris, you know, explain, I would explain to you, this is the project. This is the property I have. This is what's currently happening. This is what my future plan is. Um, be honest with your equity partner. I've got debt. Uh, I'm seeing what's happening in the market. And I here here's some keywords that help a equity partner like, okay, jump on board with you. I want to position myself financially to take advantage of future opportunities. Like yeah. that's a great phrase that you're not trying to get their money so you can go out and get more debt. You're trying to reduce your debt load, your obligations, yeah. so that you can take advantage of additional opportunities. That lets your capital investor know that number one, you're you're sophisticated, you're savvy, you're not just dumb. Um, and and that you also are thinking long-term, that you're not just in the short term, hey, I'm in a pinch, I need out of this pinch. No, there, there's opportunities coming down the pipe. I wanna be in a position to take advantage of those. And if that equity partner is smart, then they're hearing that and saying, those are future opportunities that I can participate in as mm-hmm. well. So you wanna cast that vision, if you will. Um, Always allow them to tell you what they think their money is worth. That's the best position to start off. Now, that means that you have to be willing for an equity partner to say, well, I feel my money's worth 80% of equity. Mm. Well, then that is a conversation that you have to be able to have. And you have to be able to sophisticatedly and smartly talk that equity position partner into a position that is, uh, you know, acceptable for you and for them. Here's the thing. As real estate investors that maybe have been successful in the past couple of years, you've got to put your pride and ego to the side and acknowledge the fact that you need to be in a position to where you have, you're not highly leveraged. And that may mean that you have to give up more equity than maybe you would in the past five years. But it is better for your financial future, obviously, uh, to not be highly leveraged and to have an equity partner. Because once we get through this, whatever the future holds, you still own these assets. Now you might not own them 100%, but it's better to own 50% or even 40 or 30% of a million dollars instead of owning 100% of nothing. So it, it that is the mindset that a lot of real estate investors are going to have to shift is this, well, I found the deal. I've got the experience. I have all this. So I deserve 50 or even 60% of profits. No, you don't. You're yeah. in a position, and, and I'm speaking to those that are leveraged, that are highly leveraged, right? That that in the coming quarters, they could find themselves upside down and actually in a position to lose everything. So yeah. you need to, those type of investors need to have a shift in mindset that says, you're you're not begging. You're not, you know, you're not in a position where you're, you, you've made dumbest decisions and you're just screwed everything up. No, you're just in a highly leveraged position. So now you need to relieve 
some of that uh, leverage. And the best way to do that is with an equity partner. Ask the equity partner what they feel their capital is worth. You might actually be surprised. They may say, oh, well, you know, I'm just looking for, you know, X percent, which could be right around lending terms. So you give them equity that equates to a loan and you've actually made a really, really good deal. So yeah. always just ask your equity partner what their money is worth. Okay. So maybe kind of like, let's, uh, I was just kind of thinking of some math around a, like a scenario. So say someone's got um, a home that they're renting out. Uh, uh -huh. Won't worry about like what it's renting for, but they're about 80% loan to value right now. They got this, you know, variable rate interest loan um, towards the end. It started off in like the three and a half, 4%, uh -huh. whatever. And now we're getting in, I think primes at like seven and a half. So a lot of people's, you know, even if you got a really good loan, like from a, a community bank, you might be at eight and a half. If it's with, you know, hard money lender, you might be, or a private lender, you might be upwards of what, 12, 15% yeah. in that scenario. Um, so say the home is worth about 300,000 and they're at 80% loan to value about 240 and they want to get that back down to about 50% loan to value on the loan side. So they're looking to, um, you know, refinance at current rates, which is going to match roughly what they got. Um, mm -hmm. And then open up about, what is that? Uh, 30% equity, $90,000 in equity. So they'd be looking for $90,000 from that capital partner to mm -hmm. come in, pay off that, get that down to about 150. Mm -hmm. They could then turn around and open up a HELOC on that home for 90K, basically what they put in, get it back up to the 80% loan to value, right? So that they could go forward and use that money in the future. In that scenario, like, what do you think might be a fair starting point? If you had to throw like a, a 35%, you know, all right, you're, you're giving me 90 on this to reduce this. We're going to set it aside and we're going to put a HELOC on the property so that we can use those funds in the future. It reduces our, our leverage position on this property right now. We're going to be a little bit easier. The monthly mortgage is going to be a little bit less and it's going to feel a lot nicer, especially as interest rates keep going. And then uh, we're going to, you know, basically turn your 90 into a heel hawk so that mm -hmm. if opportunities show themselves in the future, we have that capital ready to access and, and put towards the next property. Um, what do you think, you know, kind of using that? But like I said, I mean, it's going to be dependent upon your equity partner. Like what, yeah. what are they looking for? Are they looking for cash flow or are they looking for growth? Yeah. So, I'm saying equity and equity typically historically has always been related to somebody who wants growth. But in this scenario where you're giving them equity, but their expectation may be something different, their expectation may be cash flow, uh, you, you can still give them equity, but because they now have ownership in the property, they're getting a portion of the cash flow. So really, I, I you know, again, I would strongly discourage any real estate investor from being the first one to throw out a percentage. Yeah. Find out what that equity partner wants to give and then or what they feel that their money is worth, what they feel their equity contribution is worth, and then figure out what can you do? What do the numbers make sense? I would say that the strategy of using somebody's equity <clears throat> to then pay down the debt, refinance, and then also get a HELOC. That's a very complicated strategy. And there's a lot of moving pieces. The biggest moving piece is that uh, HELOCs or lines of credit, home equity lines of credit uh, offered by banks have always been uh, on the very edge of risk. So they yeah. are uh, typically a bank will look at that as a very high risk uh, product. 
yeah. in the environment to where we have a recession and banks are starting to, you know, gather their hens into the hen house and, and be very selective with the type of loans they give out. HELOCs probably are not going to be as prevalent a, a loan or product as maybe they've been in the past. Uh, okay. You might start seeing HELOCs creep down from, and you know, I, I don't know. It depends again on the community bank. It depends on where you're going to get. So there's a lot of variables at play with that strategy, but you might not be able to get up to a HELOC that would release that full 90. So your investor needs to be okay. Actually, I would not even present that to the investor. I would not even okay. include the HELOC because that strategy with the investor, because all the investors thinking is I would be thinking, wait a second, you're getting my money to refinance into a fixed rate, which now that fixed rate is going to be pretty high. And now you're going to get a HELOC, which is additional debt. So what did I actually do? Like yeah. now I am an equity partner on a property that has a first position lien and a HELOC. They're, if they're equity partners in the property, that means they're liable for that, for the HELOC. And so how do you, when, when you bring in that equity partner, how does the investor have access to the capital for future acquisitions and future opportunities. Uh, that was where depend, my mind again. That depends first. on what your leverage is, right? Okay. So, um, let's say, and this is what I can imagine a lot of investors are going to be at. Let's say the property is worth four hundred um, because of leverage and everything like that. They're probably sitting at let's say three seventy five. Yeah. So they're at seventy five percent LTV. Um, that's that included the purchase and let's say they included the renovation and now they're renting it out. Let's say for, you know, this is where those higher price point homes, like your DSCR is, it's not as high as a lower price point home. Like you, yeah. you're just not able to get that much in rent to cover the cost of that loan. But let's say their monthly rent is 3,750. So they're at a 1% DSCR. All right. So let's say, uh, they're, they're, rent uh the cost of their money is 3750 and they are getting 3750 in rent if they bring that to an equity partner number 1 the equity like you don't have that much equity you've only got 25% equity yeah. depends on the savviness of the capital investor and that's why i say like you need to go to a, a private capital not private lender when you're seeking equity yeah. uh and I say this not to be mean to the uh, private capital, but you need to find people that are not savvy. Like you need to find somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. And hopefully you as a real estate investor do know what you're doing. So I, this is a, this is a cautionary. If you're brand new to the industry, then you probably should not be seeking after private capital. You need to be seeking a private lender, somebody like myself that can come alongside of you and say, this is not a good deal. Don't do this deal. Because if you find private capital and the lady or the gentleman is just sitting on the money, they're like, Bob, I just need to get a better return on your money, on my money, put it to work. Bob's going to go out there and find any deal that he can buy because now he's got the money, right? And he's going to get yeah. himself and that, that investor in a bad deal. So um, I am speaking, this scenario needs to be with somebody that has some sophistication and, and some wherewithal to look at the risk and say, well, this is not a good, this is a very high risk position for my capital investor, but they go out and they find a capital investor. Um, if they came to me, I would say, well, that's just, uh, it's over leveraged. Even if I put my money in now I'm the one that's exposed. Right. Yeah. So you, I would say that in, in, in the cases moving forward, you cannot equate the amount of equity that you're freeing up 
equal to the amount of equity and ownership. Let's say that you had 75% loan to value. You're at 375, 400 value, $400,000 is the value of the asset. You want to bring that down to, let's say 50%. So you need $175,000 in, in capital infusion. Hmm. So with that, that's a that's a another 25%, right? So that's a 25% of equity infusion, but you're probably going to be giving away close to 40% on the equity to a savvy equitable investor. Now to a someone that's not savvy and they're just sitting on the money, that's where you can sort of negotiate and say, hey, listen, you're bringing 25% equity to the table. I'll give you 25% in ownership. Somebody may be okay with that. Somebody may not. What does that look like? Again, that's a conversation you need to have with them on, are they expecting the appreciation, the growth, or yeah. are they looking at the cash flow? Like, do they want to get a monthly return on their capital? That all plays into your negotiation power of, okay, this is what I can do for you. Uh, you can do where, okay, they put 25% of equity, that's all you get. But on the cash flow, I will give you, you know, after the bills have been paid and are now our first position loan, which is lower, right? Our first position obligation is a lot lower. So that additional cash flow, I'll give you 50% of the cash flow on the uh, on the property. So you're keeping the equity, the majority of the equity, right? So you yes. they gain 25% because they put 25% of equity. So they've got 25% equity in the deal. However, they're getting 50% of the cash flow if that's their goal, right? So that's that's why I say like you need to have a conversation with a capital investor to find out what their goal is. On the other side, maybe they only want equity. Okay, well if you're bringing in 25% equity, then I'll give you a 15% booster. So you're bringing 25% uh, of to relieve me of my debt. Uh, to reduce my debt, but I'll give you an additional 15% equity. So now they have 40% equity. You have 60%. You only got 50% uh, leveraged. So you've technically got 10% of unleveraged equity, which is not the, actually it's horrible in real estate investing. But again, this is about you reducing your exposure yeah. in the coming recession, right? Position ourselves. Yeah. And maybe that investor has no, they, they're they're wealthy. So this is a, this is a mind shift, a mind shift that has to happen with real estate investors different the higher net worth investors they're actually not looking for cash flow they don't want cash flow because it it increases their tax liability right so a high net worth individual does not want cash flow they want something to where they can write off depreciation they can they can sort of put their money and and keep it in an asset and then strategize how to move that asset around later and that's where 1031 exchanges come into place and a bunch of other creative strategies maybe they don't want any cash flow well this is huge for you because you can give you can get 25% of capital infusion you can pay down your debt get it down to 50%. You give away 40% of equity but it's not costing you anything and then you get to keep 100% of the cash flow. Yeah. Well, now you've just increased you, that margin of cash flow is now increased. And and that's why I say Chris like it's very hard. Well, this is what I should do as as the owner of this asset. I can't tell you what to do because I don't know who your capital investors are and I don't know what there's what their needs are. You need to find a capital investor whose needs match your needs or what you have to yeah. offer. If if your goal is I want more capital or cash flow on a monthly basis, then you don't want a cash flow investor. You want to find a equity investor who's willing yeah. to invest in equity. Um, if your goal is, hey, I don't care about the cash flow. I'm looking at the long term. Like I see the development happening in this area. 
I want assets in this area that in five years, seven years, after we go through this recession and property values start to increase again, I'm going to be able to bankroll in that time. Well, then you want somebody that will be an equity investor, but they don't want equity to secure their capital. They want maybe cash flow to secure their capital. So there's a lot of, ton of strategies, right? And it's yeah. very hard to Monday night quarterback this. Uh, it really boils down to what are who are your capital investors and what are their needs? If you can provide answers to their needs, you're going to be able to find all types of different solutions. Yeah, no, that gives uh, the listeners some really good ideas on how to kind of like structure, begin thinking about the structure behind utilizing that strategy. But no, I think this has been a, a great topic. Thanks for uh, hopping on and, and, and doing this call with us. Um, yeah, thanks. All right, Chris. I appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Investor Podcast. If you are a real estate investor, we want to connect with you. Like our favorite quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson says, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. We believe we can learn something from everyone, so even if you are just starting out on your real estate investing journey, head over to the link in the description to connect with us, and we would love to hop on a call with you. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show and follow us on the socials at Top Investor Pod. While you're at it, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review so we can help more people become top investors. Until next time, this is Chris Marshall signing off. Go out and become a top investor. See you around.